0: Good day to everybody. This is Nicolas Borneaux, president of Capital Inc. and we are the organizer of uh, today's webinar. Uh, we are delighted uh, to host today uh, a webinar that will be uh, a deep dive into the International shipping and the product tanker sector uh, as well as the shipping and the tanker industry uh, in general. Uh, we are delighted to have with us Uh, Mr. Paolo D'Amico, who is the chairman and chief executive officer of D'Amico International Shipping, a major product tanker company that uh, is listed uh, on the Milan Stock Exchange since 2007. And also Mr. D'Amico is the chairman of InterTanko uh, and therefore he has uh, a wider uh, presence and responsibility for the industry. And we have with us, uh, Mr. Ben Nolan. Ben is the uh, head of Maritime Research at Stifel, uh, a very well uh, known uh, analyst. Uh, So we have uh, really a great privilege to have both of them with us. The discussion today is going to focus essentially on uh, three major themes. On uh, Damico International Shipping uh, as the company, then on the product tanker sector, And of course, given Mr. D'Amico's larger footprint uh, in the industry um, and his role at Intratanco, we will talk about uh, the tanker market as a whole and the industry initiatives that uh, are taking place now. Uh, This is a discussion. I will uh, now uh, let uh, Ben and Paolo continue. And again, thank you to everybody for being with us today into this uh, very interesting discussion. In-depth discussion that will follow.
1: Great, thank you, Nicholas. And uh, nice office that you have there. Certainly a little bit better than my uh, my bedroom office <laughs> that I'm in at the moment. But um, Paulo, it's it's very nice to uh, speak to you here. And uh, and I, and why don't we get it kicked off with perhaps a. Um, discussion of what D'Amico is, what the, what the company is, uh, maybe a profile of the fleet, uh, how you deploy your, uh, your vessels and, uh, and sort of maybe some background uh, on the company.
2: Okay, uh, thank you and uh, hello to everybody. Damico he started in 1936. My grandfather was a lumber trader, and uh, when my father and his brothers came in the business, they thought that was a good idea. Instead of chartering a ship to load lumber, to own ships. So we started with, uh, with sailing ships and steamships and and so on. Then the war came in, we lost everything, the Marshall Plan came in, and we started again with the Liberty ships. This is just to give you a very, a very quick uh, history of, of my family thing. Uh, today, we are a fleet of, uh, of 80 ships, uh, of which 42 are uh, product carriers. These are, and uh, 30 RMRs, six, six RNDs, and six LR1s as far as the tankers. The rest are all the right The listed company is only covering the, the tanker side. And um, we, we focused before on the Andes. We started, let's say, with the Andes, as, like everybody in, in, the clean, uh, in the clean industry in the 60s, and we kept going with the Andes when we moved on, on VMRs in the 80s. And today we run the MRs and the LR1. The core of the fleet, of a tanker fleet is in VMR, uh, because uh, it was the workhorse of, uh, of, the, of the industry. I mean, all the traders used to, uh, to fix the MRs because the stem the dimension of of the stems of clean cargos were fitted for hammers and still is the most, um, let's say, flexible ship. Now, say that, uh, if we look in the future, and uh, probably we are going to move on the higher segment and the hammers are going to be limited more and on a regional basis for distribution, and maybe the LR1s and the LR2s are going to get most of the long haul, uh, haul cargoes. Also because we do expect that the distance between the refineries and the consumption, the consuming markets are going to be bigger for a number of uh, of reasons also because the more let's say uh, the more competitive refineries are all being built in either in the East or are in the US Gulf. And being Europe, the biggest diesel market uh, and Europe is full of old refineries, which I am afraid they are going to be closed. I think we we are going to have a bigger ton mile effect and uh, this will bring to an increase of size of ships. I mean, for just a matter of economy or scale. I mean, provided of course you have a capability ashore of tankage and, and, uh, and terminals. So this is a, uh, let's say the first flash if you want to what we are and what we are thinking
1: of. That's perfect. Um, and, and maybe a, a, along those lines though, uh, a little bit maybe on how you deploy your ships uh, relative to you know, spot versus contract or, or just sort of opportunistic um, and, uh, and own versus lease or, or chartering.
2: I, I would say that we are a mix of everything in the sense that uh, certainly we start, we, we have always a very conservative approach we built up in the years a very good uh, relationship with our charterers, and uh, um, I would say the majority of them are top oil companies or top traders. And uh, we tend to cover ourselves at least between 50 and 60% of the fleet, I would say more 60 and 50, and is exactly where we are today, thanks God. And um, uh, we, we, of course, charter in, we charter in on long-term, we charter in on short-term and okay, the lease of uh, the bare boats and this type of thing are more of a financial approach. So, it's, it's more financially driven than, let's say, uh, pure industrial thinking. Uh, we try to be not speculators let's put it this way we look long term and uh, we believe a lot in relationship and it's been paying off also in 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 very difficult times uh, the thing did work
1: Hmm. so uh, maybe could you talk through a little bit of the last i don't know uh, five to ten years uh, w- what you've done uh with respect to your your fleet size and uh and focus and uh and growth
2: but we i would say we we are a little a number of ships we are declining because we were as far as tankers we were on, we a fleet of over 50 ships and uh and a number also of them chartering on long term and medium term Uh, We certainly, through the various, uh, say, spikes, but also the various crises, we we have been delivering uh, a lot of ships, and we have been also uh, reducing, if you want, we have been selling uh, a number of ships. But in the meantime, we also did a 22 new building program which uh, is been, uh, the last ship has been delivered uh, in September, 2019. So last year, uh, which was worth more than 700 million dollars. And and uh, uh, we renew the ship, the fleet, as I, I think we had to do also due to the fact that the Echo ship were coming in. And uh, the older ship were let 's say losing ground on a consumption basis, and uh, i 'm afraid they will lose even more going ahead due to the various environmental matters and emission regulations that they are going to come on us in in, in the future. Do we like it or not? Mm.
1: Yeah no and we'll uh, we'll get to that in, in a bit and and certainly appreciate your perspective as the chairman of Intertanco um in a in a leadership position uh with respect to the trends in the industry there but uh going back to um to your company D'Amico, um, uh you've as you mentioned finished your uh finished your new building program um we've gone through periods of strength. We're currently in a period of weakness. What, uh, how are you thinking about the deployment of your capital now? Is it, uh, um, you have shrunk, are you looking at growth again or uh, repayment of debt or preservation of cash, cash, Um, any color that you maybe can shed on that?
2: We, um, I would say, We are certainly in a very defensive uh, position now. We are not certainly looking to new building programs. Uh, We are preserving cash. The idea is uh, to strengthen our balance sheet and, uh, of course, uh, deleverage as much as we can the company because this is, I think, what everybody should be doing today more than anything else. Uh, Say that we are looking also to opportunities if they are there, but they must be really there. Also because I think for the first time in in modern time, in in modern area in shipping, we are in front of quite big dilemmas. Uh, And this is, of course, keeping the new building order book quite down. The thing that we don't really know what the ship of the future is. Of course we are still far away from, uh, let's say 2050, which is the last um, the the last date of the IMO IMO program and is is a very important, uh, is a a very important date. But, Already today, you are at the risk to build a ship, which is uh, out of time, uh, maybe after two years of life. And so it's yeah. better to be extremely careful what to do. The alternative to that is by second hand, if you want On the, from a number point of view, it makes even more sense. But we prefer not doing that. So on top of it, I would say we are very much we have been in the past very much driven by our charters on our new building programs. And uh, we certainly going to need even more in these uh, difficult times and uh, have the support of the charters on what what ship to do, what ship to build, and uh, and principally what sort of technology to use.
1: Right. Yeah. And uh, again, I. Sure, we're going to talk a lot about that in a minute. But just uh, wrapping up as it relates to the company, you're publicly listed in Milan. Um, and uh, first of all, any color on uh, on the thinking there in terms of being Milan listed versus in the U.S. or elsewhere um, that uh, that you could add.
2: But look, I mean, when we listed the company, our advisor was very much of the idea of listing it in Italy because of our name and mm. because we are very well known where we are in my country. And uh, I have to say, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, I'm, I hear a lot of uh, Noises that there is no liquidity. I, I didn't. I didn't see this lack of liquidity in Milan. I mean, Italy is a huge saving country, and we we have extremely strong retail market. Of so, uh, I didn't feel any any need to go to U.S. U.S. On top of that, needs has a you have a dimension problem because if you are not big enough, you, they don't even look to you. So. Uh, I would be going to U.S. only t- to look for problems. And uh, frankly mm. speaking, I have enough here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well,
1: I, c- I can identify with that. Um, to that end, I mean, I, I think uh, as a, um, you know, from a market capitalization perspective, it's certainly not large cap, small, um, but maybe that fits in in the context of where you are just um do you feel any need to grow or be bigger or anything else or is that just a a u.s problem uh,
2: not necessarily i mean uh, many 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 investors are very happy with the dimension we are uh because we have an we control very well the company. We control very well our relationship with our charterers. We control very well our relationship with our crew and so on and so forth. So the operation makes a lot of sense for us to be of a dimension of what it is. I don't think big is beautiful. I mean, not mm-hmm. necessarily is. And uh, if you look at uh, our GNA costs, and so you make analysis of our GNA cost against even our peers, this is, is Mathematical proven, so mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't feel that uh, that thing. Okay, so. great.
1: No, that's awful. Now, if we if we can transition over into a little bit of the uh, the, the product tanker. Um, discussion. Well, actually, let's start with maybe something that's shipping related, but more broadly speaking, uh, just talking about, as you were mentioning earlier, some of the um, new regulations that have happened, you know, um, including the IMO 2020 earlier this year, but there are more with respect to um, further emission regulations and uh, and as you mentioned, it, it, it is a real unknown as to uh, what, what the ship of the future will look like. Uh, first of all, do you have a view on that? I mean, uh, um, is, uh, if, if you were ordering ships today, what would they look like? And, or would you simply just not order ships today because you don't know?
2: But if, uh, if I was on an ordering mode, I would certainly look to the dual fuels. Because on short term, because it is the only, is the only thing that you can look at. But you must also have uh, the support of a charter who is prepared to pay the differential between a pure diesel ship and a dual fuel ship, because it's still strong. I mean, it's, it's not uh, on an MR can be easily eight million dollars. So mm-hmm. uh, it's fantastic. I mean, when when you when you read about the things that can be done and, and, and whatever, and even a declaration of intent by many big companies is a thing. But when you sit down and you try to put together a contract, it's a completely different story. And nobody's prepared mm-hmm. to pay for it. <laughs> so yeah. if, if there is the opportunity <clears throat> to make something which makes sense, of course we are here, but it's not that easy. Yeah.
1: Now, uh, along those lines, you know, obviously, it seems like with respect to alternative fuels, well, uh, let's back up. So there was uh, IMO 2020 brought on many ship owners putting scrubbers on um, due to. You know probably a myriad of reasons but that hasn't proven to be just a fantastic investment at least thus far um we are in sort of a, a period where lng is making strides i would say uh, as is a ship fuel and potentially in the infancy of other fuel types you know you hear a lot about green ammonia or 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 hydrogen or or lpg or other things um from where you sit right now, you know, if you had to predict, I don't know, ten years from now, w- what do you think it will be the the you know the the winner? Let's say, if you had to pick one.
2: Uh, let's say ten year ten years is 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 a, a short term thing. Even if at, at two thousand thirty we have a day we have a, a, an IMO. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm a requirement coming in because we have to cut down emission by 40% against 2008, if I'm not wrong. So this is something, but it's something which is, uh, I wouldn't say easily achievable, but is achievable with a meaning that we have with systems that we have today, without flying on, on hydrogen or ammonia. Well, will be a problem certainly is 2050. I don't know how much is going to be my problem, but I mean, it's (laughs) certainly uh, a difficult thing. Mm. Where we are, where I see, um, I think the next 10 years, we will still be on fuel, of course, low sulfur, probably we are going to to succeed also even on, on, on diesel. I mean, today, diesel is in some port like Singapore, by few dollars, but is even cheaper than very low sulfur. Mm. So, okay, this is is due to a, a specific market contingency thing. I mean, uh, there, there is a lot of middle distillate around, and you, you, they don't know what to do with it. Mm. But. Um, in, in 10 years we're going to be there with some of course LNG powered ships and dual fuel ships but I don't see a big change f- from from here to there. The mm. change is going to happen afterwards and that is going to be a big, big question mark, is a big mm. question mark.
1: Yeah, yeah. and um, I don't know it's, it, it's a, I, I think it, an important topic for many reasons but I, I think you're right. It. Uh, uh it seems like there's not yet um a definitive solution uh which and that leads into the next question so um there has obviously for product tankers but really for almost all ship types been very little ordering going on that has given rise to a certain degree of optimism uh on the part of ship owners hasn't as much been translated to investors, but uh, that, that, hey, you know, order book is low, at least half of the equation uh, between supply and demand is manageable, to say the least. Um, and uh, and, so, and furthermore, it doesn't feel like there is much appetite to incrementally be ordering ships because, as you said, nobody knows what those ships are going to look like in, into the future. Um with that kind of a backdrop, which i think we probably can both agree on are you um optimistic or or neutral or pe- pessimistic let's let's say in the near term uh well in the next twelve months how how are you uh how do you feel about the market over the next twelve months
2: look the market has been uh, let's forget a second about the spike that we had on the first half because mm-hmm. <coughs> was even unhealthy. We are we are paying back all the money we yeah. made there, so it's, yeah. it, I wouldn't I wouldn't even take any consideration. I, the market is being uh, hit by this pandemic, which is of course is a unique situation, and uh, so on very short term. I am very cautious, very prudent. I think the fourth quarter of this year is not going to be this exceptional thing. We must forget historical numbers because it's not going—it's like, not going to be like all the other fourth quarters of the past. Mm. Certainly, demand is going to be a little bit stronger of a third one, but I, I frankly see a lot of softness around. I see uh, traders big traders, reputable traders and oil companies with ships uh, due with uh, charter finishing in this period of the year, re-delivering ships, which is a, not a very good sign because normally, uh, especially traders who trade the ship, they normally keep the ship for the fourth quarter. They don't re-deliver it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So also the view I would say of the oil operators are are quite negative, but say that is very short term. Sure. Now, now, I think this, uh, this uh, pessimism is very much, uh, of course, COVID driven. Uh, I think that the moment that the vaccine will be out, probably even only the news that the vaccine is out, is going to change a lot of things, maybe including our market. Um, Certainly, once people are getting more, people trusting more of the system and, and trusting the fact that they can, they can travel again, mm-hmm. because one element which is destroying the market today is the lack of jet fuel. Right. I mean, not the lack of jet fuel, the lack of flights. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, and and uh, this is, is really creating a huge problem. Yeah. Very good for the environment because we do not have all this plane going around. But right. I can tell you, is, is it's is a quite strong thing. Mm. So when the system will be back on its feet, I think the market will certainly improve and will certainly go the other way. Mm. And then at that moment, the fundamentals that you were talking about before, I mean, the, the low new building program, the no, low new building ordering, and the fact that ships certainly are going to be scrapped in this period because I don't see any reason why you should keep a 20 or 23 or 24-year-old old ship. Right. I'm talking 24-year-old because they are still around 24-year-old ships. Right. Um, then the fundamentals will kick in and I think the market will recover and will recover very well and I think we will recover for quite a
1: while. Um, well, uh, your lips to God's ears, I hope. Um, the um, But that said, I think um, BP, for instance, has come out and they're definitely the outlier, but uh, has, has said that, well, they think that oil demand peaked in 2019 and uh, that from here, it's just going to be a gradual but linear downward slope um, because – uh, consumption habits have changed. And, uh, and um, oil is losing share to gas and renewables. Um, I, I, who knows what the future will hold there? I don't think either of us are probably in a great spot to g- give uh, um, clear predictions. But how much does does a risk of something like that play into your thinking? Or do you think the thinking of the broader tanker market as a whole?
2: I think oil will be around the leaks for the next, uh, for the next 10, 15 years, no problem. Yep. And, uh, and I think will be still the majority of the energy mix. Do we like it or not? Uh, did the oil peak in 2019? I have no idea. I heard the story of of oil peaking so many times, but yeah. I don't know why. I mean, probably it did, or probably is going to happen in other times. I think oil will be there for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Of course, we cannot uh, forget, and this is something I just jump a second to the intertank position, which is something that we are talking in intertank a lot. We must realize that uh, oil is not there forever. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Here again, probably for my generation, uh, we we are going to have enough oil to to go ahead. But uh, for Mm -hmm. the next one, they certainly have to to think of uh, something different. And gas is just a bridge to this something different. I mean, Mm -hmm. gas is not going to be the solution. You have an emission problem also via LNG, anyhow. Mm
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. Although, you know, to your point, a, a product tanker can be a, a 25 year asset. And if you're ordering it today, or well, you don't get it for a few years, I mean, you're very close to 30 year useful life. Uh, a lot can happen in 30 years. And, and so, you know, I, I, again, if, if the world changes in that time period, then, you know, you, you, it's worth at least bearing in mind, right? Yeah. Um, in terms of capital deployment, but, but
2: we are still need we we still need ships because I Zero. mean two-thirds of a, of a planet is covered by sea. So if Very you fair. want to move something around,
1: I mean you need that. I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so uh, again, sort of sticking in the. Um, uh, the the product tanker side of the story a little bit. And you touched on, you know, how you you would envision perhaps the fleet to, on average, continue to uh, grow with respect to the average size of the ships and maybe trending more towards the LRs and the MRs. Um, But uh, do you have any hope that or thinking that perhaps the – the product tanker market can, over a at least a medium period of time, outperform the crude tanker market at all?
2: It could. I mean, uh, it, it could. I mean, I, I think the crude market, to, today, uh, the products are more or less 35% of a volume of um, of uh, oil move on water, let's say. Mm-hmm. So if you take 100, as the total oil moved on water, 35 are product and 65 is, is crude. So crude is still very much uh, the king in town. But mm. say that, also the, the crude fleet is by far bigger. And uh, and uh, so uh, there is a balance in this. Mm. The, what what uh, I'm what is certainly going to happen because it is in front of us, the producing countries or countries very close to the producing uh, ones are building an incredible big refining capacity and capability. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, If you think of what India has been doing and of course what it's been doing in the Middle East, you you see that there is, uh, they are looking for uh, the added value out, out of out of the out of the barrel and this it will certainly increase of course the the ships the ship size in the product uh, product segment and the demand for product carriers because in the meantime uh, continents like europe uh, will will be obsolete mm. by In refining terms, I think a lot of refinery in in Europe will be closing down, Mm. and uh, and I think COVID is accelerating this process. I mean, this process was already in the cards, but COVID is accelerating it. And you know, to close a refinery in Europe is not very easy due to trade unions' problems and so on and so forth. And COVID is also giving a good reason to the company and say, look, there's no way I can keep refining here, so I have to close the thing. Mm-hmm. So I think is a process will will happen. And you are you're going to have peaks where product carrier can outperform the crude, the crude system. Is this is going to be a structural thing? I, I don't know,
1: to be frank. Mm-hmm. Um, And just sort of along those lines, just to kind of wrap up a little bit on the the product tanker side and the market side. Uh, Do you, um, oftentimes we hear, especially for the larger product tankers, the LR1, LR2s, that they get 15 years of age and they um, are less attractive um, to the charterers and they tend to shift to the crude market, and they stay there for the remainder of their lives. Um, you, you don't hear as much about that in the smaller assets, but it probably happens some. Uh, do you think that's changing at all? Do you, and, and in the short term, have you seen any um, any, any shifts there lately um, in the market?
2: You see, uh, what used to be that the product, the, the ships used to say in the clean market, let's say up to fifteen years and then they were moving to dirty more than mm. crude. I mean they right, were moving right. to fuel.
1: Right.
2: Now fuel is another commodity on the way out mm. because the new generation of refineries they don't produce fuel at all. The the fuel market is being saved by not too much by the bunker because the, the high sulfur is uh, is, is very is, is quite limited today mm-hmm. and will be more and more limited. But today we are using a high sulfur fuel as a byproduct for the modern refinery, especially in the United States, and we can re-crack the. The, the commodity and get other diesel and gasoline out of it. But how long this is going to happen, I don't know. So what is going to disappear is fuels itself. And then you don't need any more ship for fuel. Where probably a product carrier can go is in veg oils and in, in, in soya oils and so on. But even there, you're entering in the food chain. So I don't know how long they are going to accept that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... Old is going to be more and more complicated going ahead.
1: Yeah, uh, that's really interesting and not really something that I've spent a whole lot of time on. Do you think that that reduces the the life of product tanker fleet? Or do you think that they'll make the the jump straight from clean to crude rather than the the intermediate fuel business?
2: No, I think we'll shorten up the, the life of a, hmm. of a product carrier.
1: Product carrier is,
2: is a very... Uh, Let's see. It lives for quite a long time. The average Mm -hmm. age of a product carrier ship is 24 years.
1: Yeah, (laughs) so
2: it's ridiculous. A crude carrier it goes to 21, 22 Mm -hmm. maximum. Mm -hmm.
1: Interesting. Uh, Well, that that, uh, yeah, it's definitely something that I I would say a lot of people aren't talking about, but is uh, is an interesting dynamic that. um, is probably new now, uh, post IMO 2020, but uh, now switching a little bit to if you can put on the hat of the chairman of the InterTanko, and uh, well, first of all, I'm sure almost everybody here is familiar, but quickly, what, uh, what does InterTanko do, and, uh, and and what's your role there?
2: Uh, InterTanko is uh,
1: protecting,
2: as far as it, as it can, the interest of all the tanker owners who are of course, members, and I mean, doing the interest of the members, we do also the interest of the non-members because we mm-hmm. all belong to the same industry, and uh, we are uh, trying, and I think trying with uh, quite a success because it's a fantastic association, not for me, but for for, for, for its history and, and for the people who have been working in it. Uh, they, are, they are trying a lot of, we are giving a lot of added value. In the rules and regulation which are coming in mm-hmm. uh, we I wouldn't say we are lobbying because it's a term and I don't like, but I mean we are certainly giving the opinion and we are here here an opinion which has some specific gravity by all the institutions and uh, starting from e i m o which is let's say our home mm-hmm. and uh, And I will say the chairman has to do the job of being uh, a guy who doesn't tell too many stupidities altogether. (laughs) 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 And anyhow, helping the helping the the machinery to move and and move uh, as smoothly as it can. We are many members, and so you know, many members. uh, They bring a lot of of uh, of uh, of value to to the industry but you have also to, to remember that there are many people around, so you have to make happy everybody. Hmm.
1: So, so from that perspective as chairman of InterTanko, representing really all tanker owners, um, what, what do you think is uh, is the biggest risk, especially from a regulatory perspective? Uh, that's, that's really where you have, uh, as you say, not lobbying, but trying to exercise some influence where where's the biggest risk and, and and that that you are sort of uh um focused on uh,
2: what what i feel really is the shipping is a a global industry and we are going everywhere in mm-hmm. all continents in all countries in all uh, economic zones and so on and so forth mm-hmm. uh for us is paramount. It is absolutely imperative that IMO keeps the position it has today and is not weakened by uh, regional actions. Am I Am referring a little bit to the emission trading um, that rules that uh, Europe wants to to impose. And uh, I'm very worried about that, because let's forget the complexity of the thing. But it's very important that we have one body to follow and we cannot start following Mm -hmm. many ones. Already United States took a a position with OPA-90 at the time, and it's been an issue if also Europe takes its position in different things and so on and so forth, will be very difficult for us to trade our ships everywhere because we mm-hmm. cannot follow everybody on everything. Mm-hmm. So it's important we keep one body, and I think IMO is our body mm-hmm. more than anybody else.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, as you were Discussing there, maybe maybe talk a little bit about the emissions trading system that uh, uh, that is being implemented or, or um, um, proposed or developed by the uh, um, by the eu and uh, and what that might mean for european ship owners
2: I think but it's not too much of European ship owners it is to i would say to European trade mm-hmm. and uh, and we we'll end up in an in increase of cost for the European trade and we'll end up also in a, in a, in something that we have to think about every time that we are coming to Europe, we have to change, uh, we have to change system or or IMO has to accept this system against mm. other ones, but it's not, I wouldn't say is the most efficient one. Mm-hmm. I, I, every time that I try to, to learn it mm. is complicated, yeah. because we must we start being sort of traders of credits and debits and this <laughs> way, which is, is, is really going to be an addict.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, uh, it's uh, and especially as you say, if if there if there's not uniformity across geographies, uh, that always creates winners and losers, uh, even if it's not in the intent. Um, but uh another thing that we haven't really touched on but it it does relate to both uh your company as well as the, your position at Intertenco is uh some of the uh covid fallout especially as it relates to things like crewing and um uh and, and the the safety of the crews and the transfer of crews and uh and all of the things that are a different now than they were nine months ago, uh, and and more complicated. Could you maybe talk through a little bit about what you're doing there as a company and as a, uh, as, a as an industry or a, um, the leader of a, a group representing the industry?
2: Uh, look, the two I would say the two main problems have been certainly the crew, the crew, and the crew problem. I would just talk in a minute. And the second one has been the vettings, because we have to have our ships approved. Uh, to have our ships approved, we need inspections. Uh, to do inspection was was not that easy. I mean, it was close to impossible. And uh, so we end up with the fantastic cooperation of the oil companies, I would say. Uh, we end up with a remote system, which is permitting today to keep the system working. Without that, we, we are dead today. Mm. Going back to the crew, the crew is a very serious thing. I mean, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> governments do not, first of all, they are always looking to the COVID problem in their backyard. And they are not looking at, at the, at the at the global thing. Mm even if on the crew problem, even the United Nations came out with, let's say, um, let's call it a suggestion, if not a recommendation. The point is that government do not understand that seafarers are um, top people, let's say they are, um, how you call it, uh, mm, necessary or um, no, they are what we call essential workers essential workers, yeah, yeah. Mm. Essential workers. Right. and um, we have them the old chain on energy but I was even saying on food will be at risk mm-hmm. all the distributing chain so we cannot just forget them mm. it's not number one is a human thing we cannot keep people on board of a ship for more than a year Telling them, look, uh, be patient because one day you're going to go home. It's ridiculous. Number one, he right. wants to go home, and number two is is covering the job of somebody else who is mm-hmm. idle home and wants to go to work and he cannot. Right, go. right. So we need a fast track with uh, in all the system, in countries through visas, immigration. Um, Procedures for 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 testing on mm-hmm. on on the COVID, and I I would even add one more that when the vaccine will be out, mm-hmm. one two three four how many are going to be, you are not going to use it on everybody in the world. So all together at once, I mean, it's going to come in by stages, mm-hmm. and certainly the medical people are going to be the first one, and then. The older generation, and so on and so forth. I, I would like that the seafarers are in the in the fast track in this case, mm-hmm. because they have to be immune more before anybody else. Right. Because otherwise, the system is really
1: in a problem. Right. Well, no, it's and we've certainly seen that in the last number of months, and uh, and you're right. I mean, it's hard to uh, hard to imagine somebody out. You know, has been at sea for nine months, who who can't even get home to see his family. So, um, not uh, not sustainable, to say the least. Um, so, I we've covered a lot of ground uh, and uh, talked a lot about the business and the industry and your company. Um, and 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 so, wrapping up here, just a question that I like to ask in these kind of situations is, uh, what would you do if um, you know all of a sudden? Turns out there was an extra, you know, uh, extra few zeros in the back of uh, of your cash account, uh, and you had, you know, a uh, hundred extra million dollars of uh, of cash to spend at the company. Um, where's the where's the best value for you if you had free money? Um, is it new builds? Um, secondhand assets? Your own shares? Paying down debt? Um, Dividends? I don't know. How do you think about uh, free money today?
2: I would say um, my priority today would be still the leverage. Mm -hmm. One, be a stronger company which doesn't mean a bigger company in terms of fleet. Mm -hmm. I will certainly look at dividends for the good of of, of my shareholders starting from myself and uh, Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I will be looking, certainly, a new building, you cannot, you cannot not look to new building because if you don't build a certain point, you are out of, of a game. Mm-hmm. You cannot leave out only your, your second-hand ships. If you want to deliver a, a good service to VR company the way we are trying to do, and I think we are succeeding in doing so, certainly, new build will be a certain point in the list, but we have to be extremely careful what sort of a technology we are going to use at that point. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, um, all of that makes sense. And uh, and I think that does it for any questions that I have. And, and I certainly appreciate your time. Also, appreciate Nicholas and Capital Link for, uh, for including me here. Um, I don't know, Nicholas, if there were any last uh, last words that you wanted to add?
0: Yes, I would like to uh, say to both of you uh, a big thank you. Uh, obviously, this has been a tremendously uh, interesting and uh, insightful discussion. Thank you, Paolo, and thank you, Ben. Uh, we don't have the chance very often to discuss with captains of the industry Uh, like we have done today. And exactly the idea of this webinar is not to do a quick gloss over 10, 15 minute uh, discussion, but to really go in depth um, in uh, a variety of critical issues for the sector, the company, and of course for the industry. And uh, with Paolo's uh, background and footprint, uh, Uh, and presence in the industry today, we are grateful to have him. And of course, Ben, uh, as always, you have been a tremendous uh, moderator. So thank you to both of you. Uh, This uh, webinar will be available for replay for quite some time. So we'll give the opportunity to uh, to people to uh, visit again and again uh, from all over the world. Again, thank you very much. And uh, we can conclude uh, our, uh, our discussion.
2: Thank you, Nicholas, and thank you, Ben. Thank you, both.